Hi guys, welcome back to Vespination Staff Edition. So today we're going to be talking about porcupine quills. So first let's talk about like how this happens. So contrary to popular belief, um, porcupines cannot throw or shoot their quills. They can only come off by something contacting it or also like sometimes as they shake, they can fall off as well. But it's not just like they, they can't shoot them out. Either the dog usually has to bite down on the quill or the porcupine can use its quilled tail as like a club and swing it at the dog. We see our pets come in most often in the early mornings or in the evenings with porcupine quills. And that's because porcupines are nocturnal and they feed at night. So it's pretty common to see them around like dusk and dawn. And just to clarify, this can happen to cats as well. It just usually happens more to dogs. Cats don't usually like their mouth isn't really big enough to get around a porcupine. But I have seen one quilled cat that came in and that was, I'm assuming that the porcupine like smacked it with its, its tail because it was on its, like the shoulder area, not on its face. But it can happen to any species. This is just who we happen to see more is, of as dogs. So let's talk about what quills are. They're actually just modified hairs, just like the same hair that we have, but modified in a way. They're thicker and they have these little scales on them that act like a barb on a fish hook. This makes the quills go deeper and deeper and because they're able to like grab on the skin and just kind of like move along. And that causes a lot of problems. Anytime somebody calls in our receptionist, the best thing to tell them to do is if they're like, hey, I have this dog that got quilled. What should I do? Can I rip them out myself? Do I need to get them in there? What do we need to do? So there's a couple of things I'll usually ask them to bring the dog in immediately. That is the best thing. Don't try to rip them out themselves. And we'll talk that, about that in a minute. But if they possibly have one, ask if they have an e-collar, the cone of shame, right? If they do, tell them to open it up, so lay it flat, and then put it around the dog's neck, and then redo the, the lattice on it again. So that way it makes that satellite dish shape again. The reason why is we don't want to put it over their head because then it's just going to push some of those quills in further. And uh, this will also help them from being able to not get their face to be able to push those quills in because a lot of times they're going to pop their face, right? They got a bunch of porcupine quills in there. They want to try to rip them out. So they're going to pop their face, which is going to make things worse. So if they have any collar, have them put that on. It's going to be the easiest thing for the dog and for the pet owner because they won't have you know, their face shoved in the dog's face and those porcupine quills hitting them. If they don't have that, the next best thing is that if they have two people, have one person holding down the dog's paws, the other person drives them to the vet hospital so we can try to get them, you know, get them there as soon as possible and also try to make it to where they're not scratching at the quills. So if it's just them all alone, they can kind of like tie the front legs together. And I'm not saying like how to tie them. Don't put them together as if they like can't move. Um, we don't want to cut off circulation or anything. But when they're standing, having them tied together so that, that way they can only put up one paw up. They can't put it all the way up to the face that gets stuck. Basically, their paws are still shoulder width apart. They just can't get both paws up to their face very easily. After they've done any of those things, or if they can't do any of that at all, just tell them to bring them to the vet hospital immediately. When they bring them in, you should tell them that they should expect that their pet is going to be put under sedation or anesthesia of some sort, because we need to be able to remove these. Some of those quills can be really superficial and sure, easy to remove, but if they don't do it right, if they twist it or if they pull it, like breaking it, that's going to cause a really big problem because we're going to have, it's going to be much harder for us to be able to get those quills out. 
So we don't want them to cut them. We don't want them to try to pull them out themselves. Like we want them to bring them in if they possibly can. So when they're put under sedation, we're able to pull those quills out. And for the people who are doing the quilling, like pulling the quills out, you want to make sure you pull them straight out. So don't, don't twist it. Don't, don't bend them. Because if you twist it, barbs break off in there. And if you bend it, again, barbs break off or the tip will break off. And we want to get the thing out whole. So we want to be able to just pull it out one nice, even, pressured pull. And don't do it slow. Like you want to rip it out. Okay. This is super painful too. That's one reason why we want to sedate them or have them under anesthesia. Because it's very painful. If you could imagine you've had a hundred needles stuck in your face and somebody is now, they've already been stuck in there and now somebody's pulling them out. It's, it's going to be painful. And the second reason why is because those quills, if they get, they may not be in places that you can see. Some quills are really big and some quills are really small. So if you have really small quills and they don't see them, they're going to go end up in places like under the tongue, in the nose, in the mouth where they can't see them. And then also they might not be able to feel them. So a lot of times when we're doing this, we're pulling as many out as we possibly can. I'm also feeling their cheeks and stuff to feel if I can feel any quills that are left in there. So you might be asking like, why can't those quills just stay under the skin? Does it do any harm? It, it actually does do a lot of harm. First of all, those quills, they dig deeper and deeper, like I said. So they move about a millimeter an hour without anybody doing anything. The dog doesn't move. Nobody pushes the quills back in. Like they're going to move about a millimeter an hour. So they're going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. First of all, these quills can cause an infection and cause abscesses to form. And antibiotics are great for like the first time around. You give them antibiotics and then suddenly the problem comes back. And the reason why is because we haven't removed the problem meaning those quills. Those quills are still in there. And this leads to more infections that become more resistant and a lot more scarring as well. It can also lead to like widespread infection. If that bacteria moves into the bloodstream, then it goes widespread into different organs and that can cause really bad infections and death as well. And then the third reason is because they can migrate. They can move to different places. They will move to think places like the lungs or the brain or the trachea, so the windpipe, the joints into the eyeball. Like it may not be that the, it was quilled in the eyeball, but it was quilled like on the side of their face and can migrate to the back of the eyeball. It can go into the abdomen. It can penetrate vital organs, the heart, like all sorts of things. And, and then it can also create abscesses in those places as well. So these are all life-threatening things that we really don't want to have to deal with if we don't that's way harder for us to deal with it in the long run than it is for us to deal with it in the short term. So it's easier for us to get those quills out now than for them to move later on. So just a couple of myths to debunk because you're going to have people who call in and ask about these things. So the first one is that people say, won't the quills just work themselves out of the body? And that's really not true. They don't really work themselves out of the body. Those barbs, like I said, will keep moving deeper and deeper and deeper. And the body can possibly form like a scar around it, or basically what's called a granuloma to wall it off. There is a possibility that they are small enough that if they're small enough, the body can destroy them, but they've got to be pretty tiny. And the odds of that happening still are not great. So ideally, again, want to take them out. Uh, second myth is that you can cut the quills because it will deflate them and it's easier to pull out. But again, not true. Um, this actually splinters the quill and makes it much, much tougher to pull out. And then 
A third myth is that you can, that the owners can just hold down their pet and just get it done, right? They're going to ask you, can I just hold them down and remove them? Still not a great option for all of those other reasons, right? They can get stuck in places that they can't see, like in their nose, under their mouth, or under the tongue, in their mouth. They might not feel it under their skin. So there can be long ones that they see, but there's also short ones that they may not see. And they can be really difficult to find. And the longer it takes them to bring the pet in, the farther it's gone into the skin and the less likely we are going to be able to find them. So tell them, don't cut them. Don't try to take them out on their own. They really should have their pet brought in, sedated, and then we can try to get as many out as possible. If What if somebody calls in and they're like, I have no way to get there or I have no money? How we usually tell them they can, and if there's only like a couple of quills, like they should just prepare that there's a chance that this is going to migrate somewhere else. Something that they can do would be to grab pliers and pull them straight out. Like I said, don't bend it, don't twist it, pull them straight out. And ideally, if they can, put like some sort of a tie or something around the dog's mouth so that, that way they don't get bit in the process. But again, they might be in the mouth. Like it can, this can be really difficult to get to. And this is really painful and we don't want the owners to get bit either. Best case, they come in. If there's, they absolutely cannot, they have zero funds, that's, that's something that they could potentially do. But they just have to know that there's going to be a big risk to this. So what happens when they do bring them in and we can't get all of them out? I might not feel them. They're way too deep for me to get out. What happens? Um, like I said, this can turn into things like abscesses or cause difficulty breathing or seizures, etc. I always let people know that there's that there could be some left that I just can't find, that I there's no way that I could feel them. So therefore, to have them monitor for their pet having things like seizures or abscesses, and if they have them, to let that vet know that they had been quilled in the past because they're going to want to start looking for a quill. Even if the quill went in the cheek and there's an abscess in the neck, it migrates, remember? So it can definitely form some sort of abscess in the neck even though it went into the cheek. The quill could be the problem all along. And that's really difficult because we have to do things like a CT or an MRI to be able to find out if there is an object that's in there. And even then, we can't really see that it's a quill. We just see that there's an object. And that usually requires surgery to be able to pull it out. Now, let's say this is surgery of the brain or of the lungs. That's really extensive, right? That's an intense surgery that they have to do. Again, ideally, we try to get these out from the beginning and not have them migrate. But sometimes we just don't know. We don't know that there's some left in there. There's no way for us to tell besides if we CT'd the dog, every single dog that has a quill. And I'm going to add one last myth in here. So some people think that if their pet gets like bites down on a porcupine, that they're going to learn their lesson, right? And they're not going to go after these porcupines anymore. And that's unfortunately not true. They don't learn their lessons as we know. And I've seen many multiple offenders that have come into the clinic. I've even had a dog who came in in the morning. We took all the quails out. And later that night came back to see me again after attacking another porcupine. So really talking to the owners about prevention, letting them know that their pets shouldn't be roaming at like dusk and after dark. And then also knowing that if there is some sort of porcupine den around there to keep the dogs away from there to help keep them safe. I know I usually do like my fun story, but I am going to do the animal fact that I do for explanation because I just think it's cool and um, it's about porcupines. So why would somebody not like that? All right. So let's talk about porcupines. We're going to talk about 
the North American porcupines, because obviously those are the most common ones here. They are normally found in the coniferous and mixed forest habitats, meaning that they prefer to be in places like forests that have trees that produce cones. So obviously we have a lot of cone trees. They're usually found in Canada and northeastern and western parts of the U.S., but oddly also in the northern part of Mexico. And although they like forests, they've also been found in places like the grasslands, the desert shrub communities, and even the tundra. And you might be wondering how they got a bizarre name like a porcupine. It's actually because in Latin, it means quill pig or the quilled pig. And they got that name, obviously, because of all the quills. They can have up to 30,000 quills on them. They're also the second biggest rodent in the United States, right behind the beaver. They weigh about 20 pounds on average, and the North, North American porcupine is the largest of all the porcupines. And you might be thinking that with porcupines, that they're so big that, and they're not very agile, that they'd probably be found mostly only on the ground. And while they do like foraging for things like their berries and stuff like that, they are actually really good climbers. They've even been found occasionally to build nests in trees. And like I said, I, usually, I assumed that they eat berries and seeds and shrubs, which they do in the summers and springs. But in the winter, they actually eat evergreen needles and in the inner part of the bark, they can actually destroy trees in the winter because of this. Now, that sounds terrible to me. I don't think I would like to eat evergreen needles and bark throughout the winter, but they got to live somehow, right? So I'm sure they cannot wait for like spring to happen. But really interestingly, so they mate during the fall and the early winter. So when mama's going through pregnancy, she's usually eating things like bark and evergreen needles for that first part of her pregnancy. Now, I just think that's crazy because I know that my wife needed, had a lot of, she had a lot of cravings, but with both of our pregnancies, and I can't imagine if you were a porcupine and you're like, I really just want a berry right now and there are no berries, you get bark. Here's your bark. It sounds terrible. But their courtship is a bit odd as well. So it's very elaborate, as most of our species are. So there's a courtship dance and there's a lot of vocalizing that's done. But here's the weird thing. The male urinates on the female prior to mating. Don't know why. Don't know why that is their thing, but that is their thing. I would think that the female porcupine would just like slash male porcupine with her tail if he urinated on her. But that doesn't happen. That's what they enjoy, apparently. So gestation is about 205 to 217 days, and the young are usually born in about the spring or early summertime. They typically, for the North American porcupine, only have one baby, and twins are rare. And do you want to know what a little baby porcupine is called? It's called a porcupet. A porcupet. I, think, I feel like that should be like some sort of designer dog, a porcupet, but it's a really cute name. And even though mom has to endure eating the bark and the needles and stuff in the beginning of her pregnancy, she does not have to endure the quills during birth, luckily. Those quills are actually very soft at birth, and then they harden over the next couple of days after they've been born. And then after about two months, the little porcupets, they go off on their own to quill more dogs. And then one other random fact about them is they are actually really good swimmers as well. I've never seen a porcupine swim, but apparently they're very good swimmers. All right, guys, that is all about porcupine quilling. I know this is a shorter episode, but I just thought that it would be um, a good one to do because we've seen a lot of porcupine quills lately. So our next episode is going to be about ethylene glycol toxicity. And I'm going to have a couple people on 
this next month. So I'm going to have Dr. Z is going to come on later on this month to do, I think she's doing ticks and fleas, if I remember correctly. And then I'm going to have the doctor from the Humane Society. She's going to be coming on as well to just kind of like talk about the Humane Society and what they do and how they get funding and stuff like that. And then again, like I'm always happy to have any of you guys on the podcast. I'm happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Anything you want me to, to go over, to discuss, I'm, I'm up for all of it. So if you want to come on just to chit chat, I'm okay with that as well. So just let me know. And if you have any questions, as always, let me know. I'm happy to, to talk to you about it. You can find me in the hallway, text me, email me, whatever it is. Um, I'm always happy to, to help everybody learn new things. And then I think in the future, I'm also trying to get Dr. Will see us on and Dr. K on. So we'll, we'll have them on shoot soon as well. All right. Thank you guys. I hope you had a very good uh, technician week. I hope everybody really enjoyed it and a good ha Halloween and um, we'll talk to you soon.